Hey, everybody, and welcome to Currently Not Tripping. I'm your host, Nick, and I'm here with Chris and Lee. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. Hey, everyone. This episode will be all about Group D, the reigning champions, France, along with Australia, Denmark, and Tunisia. And before we get started, this week's episode is sponsored by Tom L. from Princeton, who wants to remind listeners to call their mothers or their loved ones. Good oh my idea, gosh, Tom. that's Thank such you. a good reminder. I'm going to go. I have to leave. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Podcast over. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get started with Australia. Chris, take us through it. Oh, I would love to. Uh, we are going to take a trip down under. Hey, uh, so I'll, I'll uh, get us into it here, everyone. Um, Australia does not have a big history at the World Cup. They have an interesting one, though, and I look forward to getting getting into that a little bit. Um, they've qualified for the uh, World Cup on six different occasions, 74, 06, 2010, 14, 18, and 22. They have also attempted to qualify through to the FIFA World Cup 15 times, with their first attempt being in 1966 when they lost to North Korea. Uh, there was a lot of commentators and fans that felt that the only way historically for Australia to progress was to abandon the Oceania Football Confederation, which you do recall back from episode one, we discussed the convoluted, confusing way it can be to qualify in the first place to get to the World Cup, uh, the, uh, globally broken up into different zones, soccer. And by the way, fun note, uh, U.S. is not the only a country that calls football soccer, so does Australia. Soccer had developed over time to place increasing importance on tournaments rather than friendly matches. So this established the continental championships and their qualifiers as, as the major source of competitive matches for national teams. So this served to starve Australia of potential opponents and resulted in long gaps between fixtures for the national team. So despite previous attempts to switch from the Oceania Football Confederation, as I will now refer to it as the OFC, to the Asian Football Confederation, AFC, each notoriously ending in failure, a story was leaked from Tokyo back in March of 2005, suggesting that FIFA had entered into a secret discussions, surprise, surprise, with the AFC on this very issue. On the 23rd of March, that same year, the AFC Executive Committee made a unanimous decision to invite Australia to join the AFC. All being that it's a little bit of internal and external interest here, right? Uh, Australia wanted to be in a more competitive league. They also wanted to have just an easier time qualifying for the World Cup. They had another marathon qualifying campaign, even though they're in the AFC now, for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. After finishing third behind Saudi Arabia and Japan in the AFC World Cup qualifying group, Australia failed to qualify automatically, requiring the team to negotiate two sudden death playoffs against the UAE and Peru in order to reach the tournament. Uh, the first match, Australia had a thrilling uh, 2-1 win against the UAE. In the next, uh, in the final qualifying match, Australia had the best of pregame favorites, Peru, but the teams finished extra time locked at nil all. Coach Graham Arnold had a final gamble for the penalty shootout, swapping out the goalkeeper and Captain Matt Ryan for the substitute goalkeeper, Andrew Redmayne. Gamble paid off. Redmayne made two saves, and Australia continued their run of World Cup appearances to five in a row. 
uh, storylines here. There's not any big ones. Australia, you talk about football being a global sport. Uh, it is centric to many European and largely African and Asian countries. Um, you can't say the same about Australia here. They really view rugby cricket as as more of their two favorite sports to watch. Uh, similar to the USA, football or soccer falls down the ladder a little bit. They became the first team to collectively criticize Qatar's human rights record in late October as they released a video which featured 16 players calling for, quote, effective remedy, unquote, for migrant workers and the decriminalization of same-sex relationships. In response, Qatar's Supreme Court Committee for the 2022 World Cup praised the players involved in the video for using their platform to, quote, raise awareness, but also asserted that no country is perfect. It's a great PR way of saying, thanks, we get it. For the second World Cup in a row, Australia find themselves in the same group as both Denmark and France, unlucky for them. In 2018, the Danes and the French escaped the group with the Socceroos finishing bottom after a loss to Peru in their last game. Can Australia get out of this group stage this time? Key players I wanted to point out here, uh, goalkeeper Matt Ryan is one of a handful of the squad with Premier League experience. So that is, again, the club league in England, having made over 100 appearances for Brighton Hove Albion before joining Arsenal very briefly on loan. He's now at FC Copenhagen in Denmark. The 30-year-old has played at both the 2014 and 2018 World Cups, so arrives in Qatar with plenty of experience. Good to note, um, the official rosters have not been released uh, for Australia yet, but he is, I want to say, 99.9% certain to be on the plane. Playmaker Ajin Hrustich has also shown glimpses of his star potential and is currently playing in Serie A in Italy with Hellas Verona. His ability to create will be key to igniting the Socceroos' attack. A recent injury has, however, cast some doubt over to whether he will be able to play. And finally, Garang Kual, which I could have mispronounced, is a midfielder on loan at Mariners in Australia from Newcastle United. He's a youngster to watch uh, who is currently exhibiting some incredible form. Creativity and pace tied with skill on the ball have caught many top-tier clubs' attention. Newcastle have already pulled him back uh, for the uh, upcoming transfer window um, because they want him in a squad. By the way, Newcastle is doing incredibly well, so if he is able to make it into that squad, that'll put him in the uh, top four teams in the Premier League at the moment. Newcastle's in fourth place. Will he make the final squad for Australia? Not definitive. Given his form, I think it would be hard not to pick him, but we'll see. If not, you definitely see him there in 2026. The Australian team may lack household names in this team. Uh, the really the only big household one I can think of in the past is Tim Cahill. Um, but they bring an exciting balance of experienced and young talent. Good organization back to front is going to really help them keep possession and allow them to try and bring it up the field looking for goals. What they struggle will hold them back with is goals. <laughs> they have not had a consistent goal scoring threat since Tim Cahill. Where are the goals going to come from? That is a question I will ask and look to learn from as we watch Australia play through the tournament. Their expectations are not high. Uh, they're in a very challenging group. Um, if they do make it, that would be a big victory for them. I do not anticipate they make it out of this group stage. Thanks, Chris. 
That's an excellent review of Australia. I, I'd heard of Gurren Kool, but I, I hadn't heard uh, too much about him, and I honestly didn't even know he was Australian. But I, I knew that uh, a bunch of teams were looking for him, and that Newcastle kind of won that uh, sweepstakes of sorts. But um, Yeah, I would love to see the love story of him going back to Newcastle and then Newcastle winning the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen, but that would be a fantastic storyline for an Australian player at the top tier of club football. Newcastle are in a place they're doing incredibly well where they could finish first, but it's far off. In any case, if he breaks into the team, that will be a huge win for him. Yeah, looking forward to seeing how that how that goes. But uh, so I have a question for you. What would you say is the best team that calls it soccer? And that's between Australia, the USA and Canada. There's a few others that also call it soccer that didn't make the World Cup, like South Africa, but mm. it's really just between those three. Yeah, it's definitely the USA. I think um, in recent history, we've had a rough go against Canada. If if you're judging all the squads right now, I think you got to go with USA. Canada, they've got some okay talent right now. They've got one, two, three select stars. USA is very young but they have so much talent. It's really hard for me to look past them. Uh, Australia, this team for me right now is meh. Uh, they've got, you know, a couple of maybe diamonds in the rough is is what I would say. But yeah, USA, soccer teams, soccer, USA. All right, I like that. Maybe they'll make a, uh, you know, a soccer world championship that only those four teams are invited to. With South oh Africa. my gosh. That is one of the most American things I've ever heard and I want it to happen. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So, Lee, back at it again. What are you thinking? It's kind of hard to say the name Matt Ryan without thinking about its football equivalent, right? So Matt Ryan, <laughs> you know, was the quarterback for the Falcons for a long time. I think he plays with the Colts now, right? And I, I'm a big fan of him. I, I watched him when he was even in college when we went to, what was it, BC? Did he play over at BC? We hawked some of those football games and so hot dogs and while he was playing. So like that name has stuck to me. You know, the, the team itself performance wise is probably just about on par with Australia. You know, they they were uh, above average at best. And I can't really shake the past Matt Ryan, honestly. I figured you would pick up on that. I think that uh, as the, the next country that I'm going to go into here is France. I think that uh, there's a good chance that Matt Ryan could, uh, you know, lose 28 to three like Matt Ryan is famous for. Ouch. Okay, so France. Just, wow. History galore. The defending champions, France, they've had a storied history with soccer that almost every other nation would dream about. Two World Cups to their name, first one in 98, and obviously the most recent one in 2018. They found themselves on the podium three other times, though. Third place in 1958, third again in 1986, and runners-up in 2006. They've also won the European Championship twice as well, in 84 and 2000. Finally, they won the newest national team tournament, the European Nations League, last year. Their history involves some of the world's best players, like Thierry Henry, who commentates games now, and Zinedine Zidane, who famously was headbutted back in the 2006 World Cup. They are currently ranked fourth in the world. The storyline behind this team is can their coach, Didier Deschamps, keep all of the massive egos in check and get this unbelievably talented team to defend their title and win another World Cup? So key players, 
I will highlight two players here in more depth, but this team is insane. The amount of players that I could have highlighted would start for almost any other team in the world. Some honorable mentions include the goalie, Hugo Lloris, defender, Jules Koundé, midfielder, Aurelien Schuomeni, and forwards Antoine Griezmann and Osmane Dembele. And there's also a couple of injured players that won't be here for the World Cup, but are also worth a mention, like uh, Paul Pogba and N'Golo Conte. They're two very strong midfielders that will be greatly missed. Conte is also the nicest guy on the planet, and it's a major bummer that he had to have surgery on his hamstring. So the two I want to go into, into more depth into is Kareem Benzema. And you have to start with the recently crowned Kareem Benzema. He just won the Ballon d'Or, which is the best player in the world award. Uh, he's a striker for Real Madrid, and he's so nasty. He can score from anywhere and definitely is in his peak right now. And his nickname's the Mercedes Benzema. The other strike partner for Kareem Benzema is Kylian Mbappe. He's the breakout superstar from the 2018 World Cup win, and he was awarded with the Young Player Award at that tournament. In the four years since, he's become more of a complete player. He's known for his blazing speed, creative dribbling, and clinical goal scoring. These two players side by side will keep defenses up at night. So what does this team do well? Everything. This team is so stacked at every position that they can adapt to any opponent and beat them at their own game. And what they struggle with hold them back, and that's the egos that I mentioned before. Where there's a collection of some of the best players in the world, there'll also be a collection of some of the biggest egos in the world. Kylian Mbappe's ego specifically since the World Cup of 2018 has been on a skyrocketing trajectory. The French media also won't stop harping on it. The last time the media, the media was this critical was back in 2010 when this team imploded. As the team was losing to Mexico, forward Nicolas Anelka got in a bit of a war of words with their coach, which he refused to apologize for and was sent home. Then the captain, Patrice Evra, got into a heated argument with a trainer that had to get broken up. The players boycotted training for a day in protest of Anelka being sent home. After they flamed out in fourth place in their group, they were forced to fly back in economy class. Ooh. Their coach <laughs> left his position after that tournament as well. Like, could something like that happen again? Probably not to that extent, because that's fantastic, but... I think it absolutely can. I that was back in the day when you didn't have nearly as many like um oh how do I put it big heads on the team a lot of egos um and that is meant in a nice way these are all incredible footballers that should have big egos but historically it's always been France that has had some kind of discontent seated somewhere in their team does something happen at that level again probably not but all it takes is the slightest little thing for any one of those players, frankly, to just, you know, start something in the media, start complaining. The the locker room disruption you get from that is it can be pretty bad. And like this tournament, you know, it's lasting all a month. That will have a lasting effect for them. So, no, I don't think they'll uh, they'll have the uh, the same uh, storyline or events that occurred before. But if it's going to happen to a team, I bet it's this one. I agree. I think that there's a, a very small chance that it happens, at least to that extent, uh, again. But, you know, you can't rule it out. But I know that they're afraid of economy. So expectations. It's got to be World Cup back-to-back -back champions. 
This team has the firepower to win the whole thing again, and the striker tandem of Mbappe and Benzema are untouchable. I personally think that it would take an implosion again for this team to not make a deep run into this tournament. I don't think that they'll win the whole thing, but I think anything less than the semifinals would be a surprise. Yeah, I've got a lot of reactions to this. I think it's probably worth delving into a little bit. Nick, I have a couple questions for you. First, who is N'Golo Conte's backup? That is a massive loss. I actually did not. I was not aware he was injured. I mean, for Chelsea, that player is a linchpin. You know, if he's missing from the team, who's defending that back four there? Okay, fantastic question, Chris. Um, that's got to be Aurelian Shulmany, who just made a huge money move over the summer. And he's now playing for Real Madrid. And they're playing him. And it's really hard for a kid that young to break into a team like Real Madrid. But he is, and he's playing fantastically. And so he is not a step down from N'Golo Conte in the way that other countries would not be able to bounce back without him. Oh, that's fascinating. I'm really curious to watch how he's going to fit into the the France team. I wonder, you know, how many caps um, he's had prior to this. I know N'Golo has been around for a while. The um, the second reaction I had, you you were talking very rightly about Kareem Benzema as their their number one pick. I keep hearing about Oliver Giroud over and over again. I'm really curious to see if he makes the final squad really as a backup. It's going to be him and Griezmann that I would imagine would be their two strikers. But Giroud for AC Milan right now is on fire. I would have as a, a manager, I would have a really hard time not picking him as well. I agree. I think he's been extremely underrated. He's been a little bit of a uh, a hitman who's like more like a mercenary up for hire. And he's been jumping around team to team. But he's had success everywhere he's gone. And uh, he's also a very pretty man. And he looks exactly like uh, Sean Spencer. If any of you have watched the TV show Psych, played by James Roday, mm. they look they look exactly the same. And it's yep. incredible. What you're talking about it's uncanny. But uh, I I don't see how he makes it onto the field all that often. Yeah, I agree. He's, he he will serve as a backup role when Benzema is in there. All right. So Lee, what team are we thinking about? If you're talking about a team with a bunch of big egos, I mean, you got to go with this like recent Brooklyn Nets, right? Basketball. They just have a bunch of hotheads out there. They're always in the headlines. Kyrie Irving is saying a bunch of weird stuff. Kevin Durant is saying a bunch of weird stuff, right? I mean, they don't even have him right now, but James Harden, I think, um, recently departed the team. And they even have what I would consider to be the complete opposite of a big ego, and that's Ben Simmons because he can't get out of his own head, and he's just a head case. And they're a team that is incredibly talented. I mean, all those guys are all stars. They've all kind of um, carried previous teams in the past. And you put them all together on the same team, you expect them to do great, but they just always end up falling short because they can't get out of each other's way. Um, That is just a real-life example. Well, they're both real-life examples, but this is the basketball example of what a bunch of superstars can do when they just fight with each other instead of trying to win the game. That's a great example. The one that I gravitated towards uh, when you said that was uh, the, what was it? Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Bosch, Shaquille O'Neal, Miami Heat. (laughs) Yeah, some little fights going on here and there, but I'm not a huge basketball fan. But another prime example of some really, really big egos in there. 
definitely. I think that's a perfect, perfect uh, comparison to make just because there's just so there's so many egos and you don't know how this is going to fall because there's such a wide range of outcomes here. You could look at a team like that and know that they're going to win the whole thing or you could not be surprised when, you know, Kyrie Flat Earther is poisoning the well and they implode and they're gone after three games. You heard it here first, Flat Earther. (laughs) All right. Now let's jump ahead to Denmark. Take us through that, Chris. Yeah, happy to. So uh, Denmark, again, I guess in comparison to Australia, on a different tier, uh, have been in the participating in the World Cup and on the international stage for longer with more success. Um, They started uh, back out and in qualifying for the World Cup in 1986. Prior to that, Denmark did not allow a lot of their players to play internationally at foreign clubs, uh, which really stymied any of their growth as a football nation. Political choice, but it's also good to note that they collected uh, more than a few Olympic medals prior to that. We're just talking about the World Cup they made that decision for. They won the gold medal and two silver medals uh, prior to even qualifying that first time in 1986 for the World Cup. So... Uh, They've been playing all along, um, just a political move on their part for the World Cup. Best World Cup result that they've had was achieved in 1998 when they narrowly lost 3-2 in a quarterfinal against Brazil. Uh, They also made the round of 16 in 86, 2002, and 2018, so not too shabby. Uh, The storyline for them, so a narrow 2-1 extra time defeat to England in the 2020 Euro semifinal was all that separated them from an against-all-odds bid for the title last year. They'll look to emulate that run in the World Cup, minus Christian Eriksen's horrifying collapse on field. For anybody that tuned into the last World Cup, that was, or excuse me, the Euros, that was awful to watch. I personally remember watching that. I've always been a big fan of Christian Eriksen, and I was horrified from what I was watching. Uh, Again, the fact that he's playing, again right now, huge kudos to him especially on this level. So uh, apart from the national team, uh, Denmark is equally famous for its traveling fans, known as the Rolligans. The movement emerged during the 1980s as the declared opposition to hooliganism. The goal of the Rolligan movement is calm yet cheerful supporting during the matches, as Rollig means calm in the Danish language. The Rolligans have since developed an image of easygoing nature and rabid support and are often considered amongst the world's best national team fans, along with the Tartan Army of Scotland. They were collectively given the FIFA Fair Play Award at the 1984 European Championships. Key players I wanted to point out, first one that came to my mind was Casper Schmeichel, recently of Leicester, uh, who won the Premier League while he was playing for them. Uh, He's now applying his trade for Nice in France. He is a season keeper with great consistency and in very good form. Uh, His shot blocking will be key for the team. Second one I mentioned before, but I again want to highlight Christian Eriksen. He's back from his heart attack playing Premier League football within nine months. And in March, 287 days after his cardiac arrest, he made his international comeback, scoring inside two minutes of entering the field. Fast forward another few months and the midfielder has swapped Brentford for Manchester United, another top team, and is once again pulling the midfield strings for club and country in fine form. 
His vision and passing will dictate the flow of this Denmark team. Finally, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, a box-to-box midfielder playing at Tottenham, also the Premier League. Denmark and Ericsson in particular will look to Pierre for his industry in every match. Added protection and a touch of creative flair allow him to deliver to both sides of the field, but he will largely look to allow Ericsson the freedom to pick the plays. Uh, this year, Denmark, their back line has conceded just three goals throughout their World Cup qualification campaign. Andreas Christensen and Kerr were heroes of their uh, Euro 2020 campaign, while Yannick Vestergaard and Joachim Andersen are also excellent options. Uh, on the other hand, uh, the team are full of spirit, have a well-oiled system and possess plenty of talent. Uh, they're still considered underdogs against the likes of Brazil, England, Germany, Portugal, etc. They're going to need some serious mental resilience uh, in some of these games in order to make it through the latter stages. My expectations, they passed the group stages in second place, passed the round of 16 into the quarters, but are kicked out of the quarters. All right. Great review, Chris. I just find it so fascinating that Christian Erickson had that heart attack on the field and is able to come back and still be playing. That is just wild to me. It's a great story, a positive one, considering everything that happened that easily could have gone the wrong way. I remember following him for the next three days very closely. And of course, when he's in the hospital, he's saying, I'm never going to, I've retired from international football, never play again. And you just love to see a player like that who's dedicated, passionate about the sport, come back and say, I'm feeling good. Like, there's no reason I can't do this. And here he is, again, on the global stage. I hope that Denmark makes it far, and I hope it's because of him. That's a huge boon to the team, knowing that they have uh, they have him back and his positive attitude. And just the having that story there behind you has got to be pretty comforting. But, Absolutely. All right, Lee, who do, the, who do the Danes make you think of? I always love it when teams have awesome fan bases. I mean, fans kind of make the sports that much more fun and enjoyable to watch. Um, I think one of my favorite fan bases that this reminds me of, because some fan bases are just rowdy and loud, and that's what they're known for. But if you're thinking about something that's pretty cool, uh, this reminds me of the Atlanta Braves. So going baseball, they're the ones that kind of had the tomahawks in the outfields. And every time they like have a big hit or a great play, and you see the whole like stadium just chanting together in sync, it's never malicious, right? It's never, you know, meant to be a hostile environment, but they're, it's just so cool to see it. Um, it's really supporting the home team and really also thinking about the Braves as a franchise. I mean, they're, they're a, they were a team that they made the playoffs pretty much every year, but never really made it too much further out of that. Um, you kind of had a pretty consistent level of above average performance, um, which, which makes it kind of fun to root for too as a fan. Um, you don't really want your team to suck, but, you know, you know, every year they may have a chance of doing something great, even though they never did. It's still fun to watch that. And so I could see the same for the Danes. That's a really good comparison. I, I wouldn't have come up with that one on my own. And I, for all the reasons you just mentioned that that works really well. Uh, I was always been a fan of the uh, the old school Atlanta Braves when it was like Greg Maddox and Tom Clavin. And so that's what I immediately think of for that. OK. Time for the final team in this group, Tunisia. All right, so Tunisia does not have a storied World Cup history. They're known as the Eagles of Carthage, 
And over the first five World Cups, they were actually a part of France. Then, between not qualifying, not entering, and withdrawing, they didn't qualify for a World Cup until 1978. They've competed in five World Cups total now and have yet to make it out of the group stage. They're currently ranked 30th in the world. So the storyline right after that is, can they make it out of the group stage for the first time ever? This is a very difficult group for them. But at the 2018 World Cup, they finished third in their group behind England and Belgium, barely losing to England by a Harry Kane stoppage time winner, which would have put the two teams even on points. Then again, in a World Cup warm-up friendly game in September against Brazil, they got pounded 5-1. to one. So key players, key player number one would be uh, Wabi Kazri. Kazri is the center forward for French team Montpellier. He was their captain at the last World Cup, and he had a hand in four of the team's five goals. He's looking for more goals to become Tunisia's all-time goal scorer. And number two, we have the 27-year-old Elias Shkiri. Unsung hero for this team, Ishkiri. He plays defensive midfield and helps make this defense look good. And they say that the earth is covered in 70% water and the other 30% is covered by Shkiri. What they do well, they score goals. They don't do it in an overwhelming fashion, but they make their chances count. A Qatar World Cup is not too dissimilar to their own geography at home, so maybe that could be an advantage over their groupmates as well. What they struggle with, what could hold them back, they don't have the strongest defense right now. It's not bad, mind you, just not a strength. They could struggle against the likes of France and Denmark. They haven't played a top-tier team outside of Brazil in a long time. Expectations? Group stage disappointment. France and Denmark are just too strong for this Tunisian side. I expect them to have a battle with Australia for third place, though. So, Nick, after hearing about that, who do you think takes it uh, for third place, if you will? Uh, Australia or Tunisia? So I hadn't really researched Australia too much, and hearing your whole uh, write-up about them, I am just as unsure (laughs) as I was. They both (laughs) seem like it's going to be a really tight game. I I would expect that game to be decided by one goal, and I have no idea which side it's going to go. Do you have uh, any idea on which way that would go? It's good to hear that uh, my overview of Australia was convincingly unconvincing for Australia. If I have to take a guess between the two, I think I think Tunisia takes it. I think they pull it out. Like what you said before, I think they're scoring goals. Australia is not really scoring goals right now. I hate to discount Australia as much as I am right now. They had a tough road to qualify, as I pointed out. Like they beat some decent teams in there, but I think Tunisia just edges them out a little bit for me. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it goes either way. It's not that much margin here. Yeah, fair enough. All right, Lee, what does Tunisia make you think of? Honestly, not much. Um, and I don't really know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They they <laughs> they don't seem terribly flashy. They don't seem like they are. They don't really seem like they have an identity, so to speak. I guess really the only thing that I've noted in your notes is that They may have a pretty decent offense, but a pretty horrendous defense, and that's not going to allow them to win many games. The only team I can draw a comparison to that is probably the Detroit Lions in the Matt Stafford era, just knowing that Matt was known for being a really good quarterback on a really bad team and putting up a bunch of points and still losing a bunch of games. 
I think that's that's kind of the, the vibe I get from Tunisia this year. Um, they're going to be putting on maybe some exciting games, but they won't come out on top. I think Kazri would like to be the Matt Stafford in that situation, so I like that. Okay, that takes us into predictions. So, actually, Lee, why don't you start us off with this one? Who do you have coming in first, and who do you have coming in second out of this group? I feel like this one's kind of clear. It's, it seems like it's going to be France coming out first and then Denmark going out second. I just don't think Australia or Tunisia have the firepower to really hang with those guys. I hope I'm wrong, because I always love to see an upset and an underdog story, but it almost seems too obvious. Like it, It's so such a glaring difference between the two tiers of teams in this group. Yep. Uh, I actually completely agree. For the exact same reasons you just mentioned, I have France first and Denmark second. Chris, do you have anything different? No, no, I don't. It's it's clear cut, as Lee said, but we also made a good point. Every World Cup and soccer in general always has upsets. I always think back to Germany not making it out of the group stage, right? Massive upset. So does that happen here to France? Well, you never know. If one of the if it's gonna happen to somebody, it's gonna be them. Okay, we'll keep our eye on this group. But I think that's it for us. We're gonna wrap this one up. So join us next time as we dive into group E. Spain, Costa Rica, Germany, and Japan, the likely group of death. Yes. Love it. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks all. Thank you.